this couple just endeavored and uh, experienced something really exciting, did one of the most challenging things that they've ever done in their lives before. Firstly, they run a veterinary practice in the city, and um, they are from Pretoria, but they felt they needed to go and do a certain thing, a certain mission that God had laid on their hearts to summit Mira Peak in Nepal at about 6,500 meters. Now, just for your info, that is higher than the Moraleta Mountain over here. All right. And so they had a wonderful time, and it was a real experience. There'll be some photos on the screen as we chat. But um, firstly, Yaku, where did this idea come from? I mean, why leave the comfort of your bed to go way up there, Mira Peak in Nepal? Why? Because God called us, and He confirmed it five times, black and white. And I just want to add, we are two ordinary people, like everybody sitting here. But when God calls you, you have to listen. So you felt God spoke to you. He laid it on your heart. He placed that vision. A little bit later on, we'll mention the spiritual significance and why you did that. Um, now, Linda, in terms of preparation, let's have their mics just a little bit louder, please. In terms of preparation, uh, what did you have to do? How long before did you have to start training? And what did the training involve? We actually started about a year ago. We started intense physical training with a personal trainer, which she really moved us. And then we realized we're not good enough, so we had to up it again. And we did some mountaineering experience. Um, and then spiritually, we felt that God was saying we need a time of sanctification. Uh, we thought it would be very easy, but God is very innovative in how he cleans your hands and give you a pure heart. So we went through a time of sanctification. And then mentally, we were also had to be prepared um, not to quit and to see ourselves at the top of the mountain. So even a year's preparation. I mean, this was quite serious. Now... In terms of when you arrived there, and uh, from you left South Africa until the time you came back, it was about two and a half weeks. Um, so when you began to start getting up the mountain, I mean, you threw the little village, and, and now you're actually starting to get onto the grass, which is becoming steeper and steeper. Uh, what did it feel like? What's the environment like? Uh, are there any people that, you know, look international, or do they all look like local Nepalese people? There's literally people from all over the world, from Russia, from Czechoslovakia, from Germany, um, America, everybody, but we were the only South Africans. The only South Africans. And you were one of the older couples in terms of that. Uh, they're in their 50s, but they've got guts to take this on, uh, which is quite remarkable. Now, you said it was actually dangerous. Uh, this is not like a walk in the park. This is serious. People can die from being on the mountain through altitude sickness. Linda, why is it dangerous? I think the risk of the altitude sickness is that your brain swells and you've got tremendous headache, headaches and loss of appetite, insomnia, and you really become very disorientated. And it actually happened with Yaku already on day two, that when we went over 4,700, he experienced excruciating headaches and he showed symptoms of severe altitude sickness. But to add to that, it's also the weather changes in a, in a dime in the mountains and the higher you go up, the quicker it can change. So even in spite of weather forecasts, it's always dangerous, plus the crevasses. Yes. Many of those crevasses, like the one on the picture, that you don't even see the bottom. 
Some of them are covered with snow, so you just hear the hollow sound when you walk over them and you don't even yes. know you're in danger. Now, you speak about the death zone. What is the death zone? It's above five and a half thousand feet that you enter into the lower realm of death zone, and the higher up you go, the, the worse it become. become. Um, part of it is why we done it. We wanted to take a stand against death in the lower realm of it for life, for the preciousness of life. Wow. In terms of Summertine, by the way, they told me that only 50% of the people while they were there managed to summit. And many of the people were coming down, being medevaced by helicopters and people coming, walking back past them, noses bleeding, they've been vomiting. And, and it's just crazy how sick you can get up there. Now, um, the, uh, tell us a little bit about the practical details. I mean, you, the one night your tent was on the edge of a massive, I don't know, cliff or something like that, and you have to stay pinned in even though you're there. Uh, what's that like? I mean, this is hardcore. I think we can also add part of the attack of the enemy was our guide was alcoholic, so he left us some days even going the walk in the bottle while we had to hike. Now, did you get that? Their guide was an alcoholic. So he was taking some of his own detours. And then you said the one day for two days he was gone, and then he came back looking very happy. <laughs> they call it bubbles. That's not happiness. <laughs> now, as you began to get higher up the mountain, this is becoming more serious. Uh, what's going on in your heart and mind? This is not easy. Did you think of turning back? We many times, the battle is especially at night in your mind. You have to renew your mind constantly as the word says. Because when darkness comes in, you freak literally out. You lie in that sleeping bag. You're claustrophobic and your mind starts playing games on you. Telling you you won't make it. Who are you? An ordinary couple from Pretoria it's athletes doing it. It's supernatural, guys. It's been DNA-adapted people, not us. Mm. Linda, some of your greatest challenges as you're busy climbing, what's going on in your thinking? Because there is a huge mental battle. So true for the mental battle. I think it's the pure exhaustion we felt, especially the day before our summit. Um, you think you have enough energy, but you come to a point where it's completely zero. We were completely depleted to such an extent that I wanted to faint for twi uh, two times. And as we were walking and we were leaning on our sticks, we would just cry out to God and say, El Shaddai, you are our rock. You are all that we need. We didn't call out on his promises and had these huge prayers. We just called out in raw emotion to God. And then he would give us the courage and the strength to take the next step. So for us, it was the complete depletion. And I remember when we came into high camp and I looked at Yaku and I saw the shock of pure exhaustion uh, on his face. Um, we realized in this cold minus 15, it's so cold. How are we going to summit the next day? And we looked at one another and said, there's no way. Really? We don't have it. We don't have any strength. And I remember we called out to God and said, we cannot depend and trust ourselves anymore. Therefore, we look unto you and believe you, the God of resurrection. Would you resurrect our bodies as we sleep tonight? And that's the only way we will be able to summit. Amazing. So, 
So here, the next day, after you were so completely exhausted and sleep up on the mountain is not like sleep in your bed in Pretoria, but uh, you're on the mountain, now they wake you up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and you begin to summit. 2 a.m., what was the temperature like on that day? And now just tell us about that last day, getting up to the summit. Yeah, I think going up to the summit started the day before when we'd done two days in one day. And then that morning when they wake up at two, they start feeding you sugar porridge and sugar tea and get you going. And then by three o'clock, we were honest, cramped and roped together, and we started hiking. And although we felt new and energized and revised by God, as soon as you start hiking up there, you, you're breathing in a quarter of the oxygen that we're breathing here now. So literally every step is an effort. And later on, it became so bad that three steps rest, three steps rest. Well, in the beginning, you could at least do 50. But as we started hiking, we saw the stars right above us, but they were so bright and so flickering. And I thought, God, are we going to hike right into heaven today? And then we realized that wasn't heaven stars. It was actually the people that started at one o'clock hiking in front of us. So, so their torches were the stars. But they were above us, not in front of us, above. That's how steep. It is steep. It's over 65 degrees at certain times. And as we were going up there, one of those starts, stars started coming back to us. and we realized, Shooting star. Yeah, no, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it was the guy that just gave up hope and turned around. Um, so later on, we gained on the three Germans that also started two hours before us. And just to pass them, we had to rest three times um, to pass those three guys. So at least when we went past them, we were starting to negotiate with God and say, should we not go just to sunset? How far is Middle Peak? Because you can't see in the pitch black dark. When you step off the hardened path with the people before you hike, you go up to more than a meter deep in the soft snow. You have to stay on it, and you don't even know where the crevasses is. You hear wow. just that hollow sound. So it's intense. Now, Linda, when you actually got to the top and you stood up top there, wow, what did that feel like? John, I thought of you. <laughs> you thought of me. I, I said to you, oh, there's no way that I can come back and face you without being on the other. <laughs> they were nervous that they're going to come back and say, well, we didn't get to the summit in full Biki Yammer, but you guys did it. Praise the Lord. Lots of people were praying for you. But as you stood at the top there, was it exciting? It was totally overwhelming. We thought that we will pray and declare and praise God, but we just sat there overwhelmed by the beauty and it's like sucking beauty from a fire hose. So it's so overwhelming. And uh, we just wanted to take pictures to show that we were there because the previous people forgot to take pictures in a moment of overwhelmness. But to see God's expanse there, it was just magnificent. We saw six of the highest mountains uh, in the world from there. Beautiful. Mount Everest and a lot of others, yes. Wow. Now, the preciousness of life. That's the banner that you held up at the top there because God has given you a passion to highlight the preciousness of life and to say to people, you, you can't just abort children. They are precious and they are valuable. Tell us about the cause, either one of you. I think we can start off with Martin Luther King said, you start to die the day when you keep quiet about things that matter. And what really touched our heart since last year, October, is the amount of death because of abortion. There's 
between 40 and 60 million deaths worldwide per year because of abortion and the loss of life just started to touch our hearts tremendously and the tragedy doesn't end there it continues with a mother within two weeks after the abortion she starts with psychological and emotional problems and 60% of them give in to uh, suicide and they go into complete addictions so our hearts are broken because of the shame and the guilt that the mothers carry with them and the emptiness. And we just felt God calling us for this, the, the loss of our life. But it's also, we have experienced so much brokenness in our lives and we are on a journey of meeting the God who redeems us. Amen. And we want to make a change in lives that are broken. Praise the Lord. Yaku, you have one testimony of already a life that's been saved. If we can make people aware that there's another choice, and one of the ladies that was the intercessor for us and praying, she shared with a group of people working for her, we're doing the summit for preciousness of life, and one of them heard it, and that night the Holy Spirit showed Linda's face in the dream to her. That's not where it stopped. A friend wanted to abort the unborn baby because it was not a, a planned pregnancy, and she told her about this. And just by hearing the story that these people caring for those unborn souls, that God has got a plan for their lives, she stopped abortion and there's a baby that lives. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, would you just extend your hands as we pray for them. Father, thank you for this couple and we thank you that you gave them success to be able to get right up to the top. They testify clearly it's by the grace of God. We thank you that they could go and do the spiritual action of declaring life in the death zone of a mountain. We see it as hugely, significantly prophetic. And now we pray, Lord, that this passion that you've birthed within them, we thank you for some of the first fruits that have begun to come in, but we pray, Lord, that you would use this as a major thrust in their lives that they would many years from now look back and say with incredible gratitude, look what God has done. So many, many thousands of lives have been saved because you can do what we, above what we ask or think. And so we bless them, we love them, and we thank you for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you give them a hand of well done and God bless.